and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Scott Mills, who was recently appointed CEO of BET, I believe in November this year. And I'm, I'm curious, why did you think that Scott should join us on the podcast this week? Yeah, I mean, one, I will talk to any CEO of a big TV network like BET, so Scott, my invitations always stand in for that. Um, but then, as you mentioned, Scott was appointed CEO of BET in November, so it was also uh, pretty timely you know, by that nature. But then it was interesting because we start off the interview, Scott kind of talks about how he's actually kind of been serving in this role as president and that it's more of a title change to kind of reflect um, the importance of BET within Viacom CBS. But then we get into the real news later in the conversation where we talk about BET Plus, which is the streaming service they had launched in 2019 and how in 2022, BET Plus is going to start testing an ad-supported tier. It's been ad-free subscription-based um, up until this point. Um, and they're also you know, planning to um, start bundling BET Plus with Paramount Plus, which is something Viacom CBS has started doing this month by bundling Paramount Plus with Showtime. So the BET Plus bundle is coming. Got it. I'll let you guys get into it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Kayla. Scott Mills, welcome to the Digital Day Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to talk to me. My pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me. First order of business, congratulations on being appointed CEO of BET. You are at this point that we're speaking, I think, less than a month into the role, or at least it's been less than a month since the announcement went out. What has this initial you know, few weeks been like for you in this role? You had been president before, so you're by no means a stranger to BET. Right. Well, the role didn't really change. The announcement was a change in title. I've been functioning as the, the most senior executive at BET. But the wonderful thing I think about the announcement is that it's a, a further demonstration of Viacom, CBS's commitment and recognition of the value of BET, because I really do think this, this title evolution is really a reflection of the incredible work that the BET team has done. And, and it's this wonderful acknowledgement by Viacom CBS leadership of the great things that are happening at BET. Got it. Okay, so it's well, it's not ceremonial. I don't. I feel like that's dismissive of it. But I do want to understand, like, you know, why this title change is being made, and, and like what it indicates beyond, you know, kind of the showing that BET now has a CEO. The title evolution, the promotion, is really a reflection of the fact of how far we've advanced. BET. When I took the role of president back in 2018, BET was largely a cable network uh, and we had some digital assets. Since then, we've gone on and we've built out a streaming service that ha now has millions of paying subscribers. We've built out a studio business that is anchored with extraordinary talent and we've built out an array of businesses. And so the title change is really a reflection of the expansion from BET from kind of a legacy cable business to now a, a series of interconnected media businesses anchored, as I like to share, at the intersection of content, community, and culture. Got it. And you have children, and so I know anytime you ask a parent 
who's your favorite child, you're not going to get an actual answer. <laughs> or you're going to get an answer that's probably more, signals more about the parent than necessarily their relationship with their I love that. kids. But um, I mean, you have BET Plus, as you mentioned, launched two years ago, but then you also have the Linear TV Network. And so is there a primary focus at this point? It's actually a focus on managing all of these businesses as complementary pieces of a portfolio as opposed to having one in a preferred position relative to the other. Our, our driving thesis is first and foremost that for BET to be relevant 20, 30 years from now, it has to be an integral part of our audience's lives. And what we know is for many years, the cable ecosystem has been, has been evolving and that evolution has uh, part of that has been a lot of people have been leaving the cable ecosystem. And so it was critical for us was to ensure that we were super serving the audience that remains in the cable ecosystem, but that we're also super serving audiences that are not coming to the cable ecosystem. And that was one of the drivers behind creating our digital business years ago. It was one of the drivers behind creating BET+. And our most recent venture, BET Studios, was really born of this idea that we're always going to have people who are going to be subscribers to third-party platforms. And Studios allows us to be in front of our audience on those platforms by creating content and selling it to third parties. So it really is about this complementary ecosystem that's designed to allow us to super serve our audience wherever they are. Got it. And I want to get back to BET Studios because it's only been a few months since you all announced the formation of BET Studios. But I do want to stay on the linear network and then BET Plus for a second because you mentioned wanting to super serve the linear audience and then wanting to super serve the BET Plus audience. But I imagine that at some point there does become something of a zero sum relationship. If I'm a member of the linear audience, at some point I'm going to come around and see BET Plus and be like, oh, that seems really good. I'm just going to you know, watch BET Plus from now on. That's a, that's, a, that's a risk, but the reality is that we think of the audiences for the different services that we have as very distinct customer segmentations. One of the things we do is we do this hyper-segmentation exercise and so that we understand what the dynamics of the, the audience that remains in the cable ecosystem, right? So, for example... This is not an insight, but in general, younger people have either left the cable ecosystem earlier or they're not coming into the cable ecosystem. And so the, cable, the linear cable audience has been aging up. And so you do get an audience that gravitates towards certain content in the linear cable system uh, and is reflective of certain demographics. And then in streaming ecosystem, you have an audience that's slightly different. So the demographic profile, you know, in you, when you exclude race, but when you look at things like age and gender and income, the demographic profiles and even geography are different right now for our linear audiences than they are for our plus audiences. What and, and the offering that we have in BET Plus is not identical to our linear offering. There are some services where the offerings are identical, but the BET linear offering actually is different than the BET Plus offering. And so we, we do position them as different offerings. And so is how much of the idea is someone who is watching BET linear would also sign up for BET Plus or someone who maybe first you know gets exposed to BET through BET Plus? Well, I, I don't know how many people are signing up for new pay TV subscriptions at this point, but maybe there is some vice versa there. Right. Well, you know, the, the idea is we understood that a lot of people 
were leaving the cable ecosystem and they were leaving the cable ecosystem to pursue other alternatives. And we did all this research to understand, was there in fact an opportunity for a, a dedicated streaming offering designed around black content that could actually generate uh, you know, millions of paid subscribers? So could it really function at scale? So we did all of this research and, and I really needed to be absolutely convinced because it was a, a really substantial investment and commitment to build the service. And the breakthrough in the research, we have a great research team at BET, the, the, there were two breakthrough moments. The first breakthrough moment was that the data said that, that black consumers were uh, streaming super consumers the same way we're, we're television super consumers. And that means that we consume more television and we consume more streaming than the general population. Okay. Um, and then when we asked black consumers who were streaming how much, what kind of levels of satisfaction they had with the big streamers, this is pre-Disney Plus, so, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, the results were super high scores of, of, of uh, satisfaction. You know, kind of everybody was significantly high uh, 90s. But then when we asked those same black consumers, how satisfied are you with the black content on those services? We saw that there was a double digit gap between the satisfaction levels of the general entertainment content and the black content. And that was our first sense. Well, here's a potential opportunity. And then the second thing, and I share this, is um, we, we, got, we, we were buying third party data and we were looking at the most watched, I won't say which streamer, we were looking at the, uh, the most watched shows by general audiences on a particular streamer. And then we pulled the most watched shows by black audiences on a particular streamer. And under the most watched shows for black audiences, the first, okay, I won't say what they all were, but the third most watched show on this service was The Office. And that was this extraordinary aha because The Office is a fabulous series. But there's no multiverse in which The Office is a top three show among black, among black viewers. And so what we understood was, well, that show was, was, was being so heavily consumed by black viewers on that service because all of the shows that black consumers would normally consume were not on the service. And so it really became this thing that pointed to this opportunity that the, the, the broad general entertainment streamers were doing a great job providing general entertainment services, but that there was clearly a lane to provide a dedicated service that was going to have a deep foundation in black content, a broad library of famous favorite shows and favorite movies, and that we could position it as a complement to the services that people were conspiring from Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu. And we launched on that basis, and it's really worked out well on that basis. And is that something where you've had to update or revisit that theory or do further research as we've progressed? Like it's been, I mean, you all, as you mentioned, BT Plus launched two months before Disney Plus and before Apple TV Plus, which I think like November 2019 often gets kind of referred to as like the beginning of this current era of the streaming wars, you all were, you know, again, two months ahead of that. But in you know the last years, a lot of, I mean, we don't even have to get into like, well, we had a pandemic that we're still in, but the streaming landscape is just so different at this point that I'm curious, like how you all have had to update your approach. Right. That's a really great question. The, the interesting thing is we had established our pricing schema before Disney Plus announced their pricing. Um, and, and 
when Disney announced its pricing, we actually went through a lot of exercise to go back and retest uh, the kind of the price elasticity of the product. And the research all suggested that our audience understood the value proposition that, that we were going to deliver with our service and it would support our price point. And a lot of people challenged us. It's, it's too high of a price point. It's too high of a price point. We went to that market with that price point. And we've, again, as I've said, we've been able to attract millions of paying customers at that price point. What, what we're really seeing is that our audience absolutely views the service as a complement to the other services that are out there, right? So, you know, you're, you made the point that I have children. I, I do. I have, uh, you know, for example, my youngest are 10-year-old are boy-girl twins. And so if you have a 10-year-old boy, you have to have Disney Plus because of all the Marvel content that's available. Um, and, and so it's a wonderful service, but that, that service only serves a portion of our needs. And what we're seeing is that our audience is sending us that message quite clearly, which is they value these other services, but, but that there's an absolute need that's not being met. And BET Plus has stepped up and we're meeting that need. And, and we're thrilled to see the resonance. Our commitment is that we have to, and we do, we do a, an incredible amount of research. And so, for example, we know our net promoter scores are off the charts. So our subscribers, uh, are the net promoter score for BET are extraordinarily high. We know um, that, that the value proposition that we're delivering is really compelling. So we feel really great about that. Now we have the same opportunity and challenge that every other service has, which is your audience wants hits, 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 right? And they want a kind of a constant um, cascade of content coming through the service. And we drop uh, one new original series a month. So it's about 12 series a year, a little bit more than 12 series a year with big anchored series. We have a, we are bringing back Kevin Hart's Real Husbands of Hollywood, which we're extraordinarily excited about. Uh, Tyler Perry has delivered some really fun series. We have this amazing series that Lee Daniels brought us called Miss Pat that we're bringing back second seasons of. So what we're finding is when we de deliver high quality, premium, authentic content, it's really resonating with our audience. And, and our audience is really happy with the service as part of a kind of a, a bouquet, for want of a better expression, of streaming services that they're going out and bundling themselves. Got it. How many subscribers do you have for BC Plus at this point? So we don't share the exact number, but the answer is millions. And I mean, so that's millions of people who are paying $10 a month for a streaming service, which I mean, yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, $10, that's kind of premium pricing at this point for streaming services. There's always the option of having ad-supported tiers that are generally priced less. You've never had an ad-supported tier for BET Plus. Why not add an ad-supported tier that would be at a lower price? Right. Well, going into 2022, to your point, there's been massive evolutions in the lit in the streaming ecosystem. And so we are spending time exploring lots of different approaches um, around um, testing different pricing schemas, pricing structures and approaches. And one of the things that we'll, we're spending some time thinking about is an AVOD model. The great news is we have an extraordinary ad sales team uh, because of the, the legacy uh, cable business that we have. We, we, have, we are very excited about the premium positioning that we've, we've established with BET+. And so we're working through whether or not, what is the approach to a premium service with an ad-supported model? So we're working through that. But what I think our audience will see and our consumers will see in 2022 is us uh, kind of 
experimenting with different pricing models to see what the response is to those. Got it. So considering adding an AVOD tier in 2022, but not yet committed to one. Right. And is that just a function of, as you mentioned, you want to get some testing, get some people trying it out and to see to what extent you would get an uptake on that? Or are you concerned about whether people would leave the, well, no, because I feel like revenue wise, it you'd probably work out better for you if you get people on the paid ad supported tier, because then you get, I mean, others have kind of, shown, I think Hulu and Discovery Plus is showing the a paid AVOD tier can lead to more revenue per subscriber than an ad-free subscription tier. Right. And so what we're, what we're looking at is what's the ideal balance? You know, and, and we really take this position is you can't necessarily take an off-the-shelf model just because it worked for XYZ doesn't mean it'll necessarily work for our audience. Um, for example, we've done a bunch of research uh, and we've determined that, that our audience has actually different payment types than uh, or different distribution of payment types than other streaming services audiences. And so we're very sensitive to really understanding our audience, understanding the dynamics of our audience and understanding where the value proposition is. And so what we really do want to understand is how many people want a, a premium service that is devoid of ads. And is there a big enough portion of our audience that wants to be able to avail themselves of the service with an ad supported? And so we'll, we'll be doing more research on that as we go into 2022. Okay. And how are you thinking of, like, would the two services be like for like in all other respects? Or is there programming that you would make exclusive or windowed to one yeah, or the other that's that's one of the that's one of the questions and one of the really fun things is that now that we're at this wonderful scale is we get to test and explore and and analyze a lot of different interesting approaches and so you know for example we have a giant award so on our linear network in june with the bet awards and we do all of these wonderful events around that right we could actually contemplate you know, are there extensions of that? Are there experiences of that that we could bundle and put into a package that would be available to our BET Plus uh, subscribers? So there are all kinds of really fun things that we get to do now that we've kind of achieved critical mass and we've really established the value value proposition of the service. Right. And I imagine they're particularly fun for you. Like these are fun for me to talk about and think about, but I have no stake. So everything's <laughs> fun for me. But like, Given your background, I mean, you have a degree in economics from Warden, you were deputy treasurer of the city of Philadelphia, and then you were CFO of BET's digital media arm. So like, you've spent a large part of your life thinking about the economics of, well, I imagine many different things, civic economics, obviously, entertainment economics. And so how does that then play into what you're doing now with not only managing BET Plus, but then managing the business of BET overall. Well, that's the, that's the, what I bring to the business is that my background is I'm a, a kind of an operations and strategy person. I am not a, I am not a kind of a, a dyed in the wool creative person. Now, fortunately I get to work with an extraordinary array of tremendous, um, tremendously creative people who have great expertise in the space and so we really have created kind of a, a, an organization at BET where we are all able to bring our relative strengths to the table at the right moment in the right time. And so as an example, when we did the first Tyler Perry 
uh, partnership many years ago, right? That was really anchored in kind of an analytical understanding of the resonance of Tyler Perry's content with our audience and the price points at which that content could be procured and our ability to bring that to BET in a way that would create a lot of value. So that sounds, you know, it sounds really boring, you know, and businessy, but it was the right way to think about partnering with Tyler Perry and bringing him to our network. But equally, when Lee Daniels called and said, I have this incredible piece of content that I'd love for you guys to consider in the form of Miss Pat, my creative team and I were able to look at that and see the brilliance of this thing that that the comedian Miss Pat and the writer Jordan Cooper had created um, and and make the decision to green light that project and, and bring it to BET. So that my view is that I don't make creative decisions in a vacuum because I get to work with amazing people with great creative taste and great creative instincts. And what I try to do is bring a strategic filter, a business filter, and a quantitative filter to the, the creative opportunities that we have to then help us identify the big opportunities for BET. And so whether that's creating businesses like BET Plus in partnership with people like Tyler Perry or 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 deciding that there's a tremendous opportunity in our studios business, which I know we'll get to, but again, in partnership with amazing creative people like Kenya Barris um, and others. So it really is about partnering with people who bring the relevant skill sets. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Let's see if I can pull off this segue. Um, you, you talked about the strengths of team bringing different strengths together. You, you talked about how you bring a strategic lens to all of that. Viacom CBS at, at this point has a pretty strong streaming portfolio. Um, and one thing that just started this month was something of a bundle between Paramount Plus and Showtime. Why is BT Plus not part of a bundle with Paramount Plus at this point? Well, the first bundle that we launched was the, we being Viacom CBS, was the Paramount Showtime bundle. There will be a BET. We will we'll, absolutely be a BET Paramount bundle. Uh, it's really a sequencing thing. Is there, show, there is a Showtime BET bundle. And it really is, you know, intriguingly, when we first launched BET Plus, I won't say who, but a, a third-party streaming service called and asked if we would bundle with the third-party streaming service. And we really said, actually, we'd far prefer to save BET Plus to bundle it with our internal services. And we think it's a wonderful complement, uh, again, around this idea that, and that's how we position ourselves, as the supplement for people who are uh, interested in having a deep reservoir of, of premium black content. So I would say stay tuned for a Paramount BET bundle. In 2022? Well, it all depends on the timing. The, the actually built, standing up these bundles is a bit of an exercise, but um, I, it'll, 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 it's definitely in the pipeline. What goes into standing up these bundles? I would have thought it's, you know, it's simple as give us your email address and credit card number. This is the price. Okay. It, it, it is, you know, it has in part to do with how the services are distributed. Um, and so depending on how the services are distributed, you have to, you have to kind of work with your distribution partners around crafting the bundles and packaging the bundles and marketing the bundles. And so, for example, there was a lot of work that went into, um, 
building the the Showtime BET Plus bundle, which has been a really compelling experience. And so what we're doing is taking a beat, looking at the data, the insights from that experience, and then figuring out how to go forward. Got it. And with the Paramount Plus, BET Plus bundle, is that just going to be, you get these two for a lower price than if you were paying for them individually? Or are you thinking about it in different ways? Well, it's early. It is very, very early days. So we haven't yet designed the bundle. Uh, and so when I say, when we did the uh, investor conference around Viacom streaming strategy in, a year ago now, earlier in 2021, we talked about this idea that in part the value proposition of BET Plus in the Viacom CBS streaming ecosystem is this ability to offer such a complementary service to Showtime and to Paramount Plus. So our first undertaking was this was the bundle with Showtime and we will we are we are you know the next undertaking for us will be at the appropriate time to work with our colleagues at Paramount to design that. We haven't yet focused on that in part because um, we've had such great success on 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 BET and the BET bundle with Showtime. Got it. Okay. Um, in November, the revival of the game premiered, but premiered on Paramount Plus, not BET Plus. The game is for anyone who doesn't know one of the most popular, if not the most popular, show that BET has aired. I mean, I'm oh, you know, 106 in Park was kind of my jam in the early 2000s with AJ and Free, but the game, I'm sure, is at least as popular, was at least as popular as 106 in Park. Why did the revival go up on Paramount Plus and not BET Plus? It's a great question. You know, it's fun to know that you, you've got such wonderful history about BET. I've been in BET so long, I was actually there when we, when we actually... The first revival of the game was when it aired on BET. It was originally a broadcast series. Um, and then the, they, was, they, they ended the series run early, and BET made what at the time was a groundbreaking decision to actually take a broadcast series and bring it back in the cable space. Um, and we had tremendous success with it. So the short answer is that across Viacom CBS, we look at content and look at the optimal homes for content and the optimal windows and placements for content. And the decision was made that given the importance of Paramount Plus and and um, and and at the end of the day that the the game is actually a property that is is comes out of the CBS Studios ecosystem, um, so the the decision was that that was a pro that was a property that was particularly well suited for Paramount Plus, and um, and we at BET were perfectly supportive of that because we were very excited about the positioning that we were doing with BET plus around things like Miss Pat and other services. And as we continue to, to create content for these services, um, you know, you'll see different content going on different services, depending on, depending on what we're trying to achieve, but we're really big fans of, of the game. We're really big fans of Barbara Brock Akeel, and we were excited to see it being brought back. Got it. I think this will be then an, an easier segue to now talk about BT Studios, which you all formed again in September. And as you mentioned, BT Studios is going to be producing shows and movies for BT Plus, but also for BT, the linear network, but also for the rest of the Viacom CBS portfolio, as well as some third parties. 
why set up BET Studios in that way as opposed to just having it focused? I feel like the trend has been any company that has its own studio as well as its own streaming property is kind of keeping that studio for itself. Right. One of the things that was really important to us, there's tremendous demand across the Viacom CBS ecosystem for premium content from black creators. I don't call it black content. It's really premium content from black creators, whether that's at Paramount Plus, Showtime, BET Plus, CBS, Nickelodeon. Tremendous demand. Equally, we wanted, when we came up with the idea for BET Studios and this this unique idea around offering black creators, top black creators and emerging black creators equity in the venture, we understood that it was going to be important that the, the venture offer as broad an opportunity as possible and that that was going to be part of the value proposition, that you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be kind of restricted to a particular ecosystem. But then equally, the great news is your, your, the studio exists in an ecosystem where there's already so much tremendous uh, kind of you know, built-in demand. And so it allowed us to really be a very compelling option for black creators because they got to say, oh, this is neat. So let me, even before I have to think about going outside, you mean there's Paramount Plus as a potential buyer, Showtime's a potential buyer, BET Plus as a potential buyer, Nickelodeon's a potential buyer. And gosh, if none of those people want to buy it, then I can go and talk to all the amazing external buyers. Um, and so, you know, the trick is what we find is our, all of our great creators come up with ideas and, and you know, you know, quickly our, our sibling properties kind of put up their hands and say, oh, I'm really excited about this idea or, oh, you just signed this, this piece of talent. I'd really love to have conversations with that piece of talent. But equally, Aisha Summers-Burke, the, the young lady who is the general manager for uh, BET Studios, that, that she's done such a great job picking the talent for the service that we receive inbound calls from third-party streamers and third-party platforms who say, I'd really like a project with XYZ, I'd really like a project with PDQ. And so we have our creators going out and sharing their really amazing ideas uh, with third parties. And the balance is absolutely supporting the Viacom CBS ecosystem. And it's such a thriving, vibrant ecosystem. And it's an ecosystem that deeply values black creators and equally ensuring that we're giving all of these amazing creators with whom we're working the opportunity to distribute their great ideas as broadly as possible. So that's the balance we strike. And how do you strike that? Like, it feels like that's, I mean, we've talked about a lot of dilemmas um, facing people in your position at this point, but like, that feels like one of the bigger ones as well is, I mean, there've been all these examples of shows that end up going on Netflix and then getting really popular. And it's just like, oh, if only that company had saved that show for themselves, they would have had all of this. And to what extent that's actually true, that's a whole other conversation. But it is a really difficult decision to make on like what is the best home for the show, one for the show, but then also for the company. Right. Well, and to that point, I think there are a couple of things. One is that creators actually have a perspective of where they'd like projects to be. Right. And that really helps as opposed to arm wrestling. And then there are a lot of things that influence where a creator might like a product. Yes, the relevant, the economics are relevant, but assuming all the economics are identical, you know, a wonderful experience we had is, uh, we, we were, we were signing up a, a creator to BET studios 
And she was walking us, or we were taking her pitch, and she was walking us through all of these great projects she had. And she said, in this project, I really want to take to BET+. And I said, okay, I, I love that. I said, but do know that like, we didn't create BET Studios for the purpose of sourcing project for BET, right? We, there are lots of other mechanisms to do that. She said, no, I understand that. But this project, I really love for BET+, and I'd really love for it to be a BET+. And he said, great. Shared it with our executives at BET+. I read it. It was absolutely brilliant. And we're like, great, we're going to buy that project for BET+. Right? But it was this creator who had this vision. Her vision was, it's premium, it's, it, but it's a product made for a black audience. I'd like to get it in front of a premium black audience. Equally, there are creators who say, you know, I want to work with, you know, different buyers have different reputations in terms of how supportive they are, how, you know, or, you know, what the process is like. And so what we are able to do is really work collaboratively um, and I think because we are working with creators that are really valued and respected, that that the buying community internally and externally is very eager to kind of say to them, I'm really, really excited about working with your projects on your projects. The other thing is, even when you are a super successful creator, you know, pitching is stressful. Um, you know, you have to you 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 kind of conceive this thing and you feel passionately about it and you have to convince people to allocate a massive amount of money to bring your idea to life. And, and so what our creators have experienced is the, you know, the kind of the internal process of getting a project in front of any of our buyers is really, really um, incredibly smooth and incredibly easy. And, um, and I think that's going, that's one of the important issues is as long as everybody's making it a, a an enjoyable process for everyone, then then projects can really get to the place that's that's right for them. And one thing that's received a lot of attention about BET Studios is you're providing the show or movie creators equitable ownership of whatever projects they produce for BET Studios or through BET Studios. But I'm curious, to, I want to understand like what exactly that means. Does that mean I, as a creator receive like whatever BET Studios makes from a project I receive and equal share. I have perpetual ownership to that project. And so it's not something where some buyer can come along and hold that for forever. Right. No, it's a little bit different. So what we've literally done is for a, a select group of the talent that's that is signed to BET Studios, we've provided them equity in the company that is BET Studios, the venture that is BET Studios. The content that's created by BET Studios is ultimately owned by BET Studios. And so the effect of that is that the talent that has equity ownership of in BET Studios has therefore equity ownership in all the content that's created by BET Studios. This is in addition to all of the regular economics they get by virtue of having created content. So this is in addition to their writing fees and their producing fees and their participations. Uh, so this is a really unique structure in that it allows the talent to have not only equity participation in the content they create, but all of the content that the studio sells. So we think it's a really exciting model and it's, it's attractive to talent because they get to say, well, not only am I, I'm always happy to bet on myself because I do believe in myself, but the neat thing is I'm also getting equity participation in the content that's being created by the other participants in this venture. Got it. So 
they kind of get a monthly or quarterly or annual check for their percentage of well, Nancy Studios revenue? So it's a startup venture. So if you think about a startup venture, right, they, we, we're, you invest, you're in investing mode, right? And so what they're getting is they're getting the appreciation, as an example, you probably saw that um, Reese Witherspoon recently was reported that she recently sold her studio um, for just under a billion dollars, right? So it's less about the, the cash flow that that throws off. It's more about this idea that you're creating an asset that in success should be appreciating materially over time. And that uh, at some future point, the equity participants will make a decision that they'd like to sell their equity in the venture and that they'll have a, a material kind of liquidity event when they sell their equity in the venture. Got it. Okay. As opposed to, because I mean, BT Studio is part of Viacom CBS. Right. So it's it's not like Viacom CBS is planning to sell BT Studios. I no. Imagine. No, but the, the mechanism that we've envisioned is that number one, we could buy the those those shared those equity interest back. And then equally, our focus is that this is an on, the studio is an ongoing venture that kind of supports ongoing equity participation. And so what we would envision is that the talent that comes into the venture will stay in the venture for some amount of time. Let's just call it five years. And at the end of those five years, that talent would look to exit. And then we would look to bring in kind of the next wave of top talent into the venture. And so we would then kind of buy out the equity or allow the equity, allow the, allow the, um, the first wave of talent. We would monetize their equity and then redeploy equity for the next wave of talent. Right. So the idea would be in success that there'll be a liquidity event that allows the first wave of talent to, to monetize their equity in the venture. And then we would take that equity that's been monetized and make it available to the next wave of talent. And we kind of perpetually roll uh, kind of top talent through the venture and and keep the venture vibrant and fresh with this constant evolution of talent. Right. In addition to just having the people that you work with be incentivized in the success of the broader studio. Right. Okay. I figured this was going to be an economics lesson. Talking Sorry about, about that. Sorry about that. No, this is, it's great for me. It's really helpful because I should know these things or at least be learning these things. And if, hey, if I can learn it from the CEO of BET, I'll take it. That's very kind. That's very uh, kind. Scott, we covered a good amount of ground. We talked about all the things on your plate. Before I let you go, is there anything big that you're thinking about heading into 2022 or expect to be thinking about a lot in 2022 that we haven't touched on yet? Absolutely. I think there are a couple of things to me that are exciting about 22. Number one is we've seen this deep appreciation for the black consumer marketplace that started, you know, at the end of the summer of 2020. There was this whole question as to whether or not was it going to be just a temporary thing and 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 would would attention shift and would 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 focus go elsewhere. And what we've seen at BET is that there's a foundational set of partners, business partners that we have that really have uh, are deeply invested in evolving and advancing their relationship with our community and our audience. And so for 2022, we're very excited about the opportunities to kind of extend and expand our work with those partners, ultimately in service of our community. And so that's really very exciting. The second thing is that as 
the cable ecosystem evolves, we think it creates really interesting opportunities for share shift in that ecosystem. And so we're very focused on how do we kind of um, really aggressively play in the evolving ecosystem that is the, the linear cable ecosystem. And then the final thing is that with these new businesses that we've started within the last two years, BET Streaming and BET Studios, we've been able to attract great teams to really lead those businesses. And so being very, very focused on driving the growth of those businesses and then using the entire BET ecosystem to support them. And so, you know, um, really fun things like, we have great shows on BET Plus, and we can take the talent from our shows in BET Plus and put the talent in the BET Awards, right? Uh, we did that to great success last year, and it had this beautiful effect on uh, subscriptions for BET Awards. And so finding more and more opportunities to kind of cross-pollinate and support this ecosystem that we've created to kind of super serve our audience in all of the spaces as I say, where we believe that content, community, and culture intersect. Got it. So the, the short of it being a lot going on at BET in There you go. Yeah. Well, Scott, really appreciate you coming on the show. Really enjoyed this conversation and the economics lesson as well. So thanks so much. That's great. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.